since I heard this music. I'm serious. <laughs> That's right. I missed this music. We had a couple weeks off because uh, we finally had our Brady Lectures in Theology and Mission with Soon Chan Ra. Which was fantastic. Oh, yeah, but that last week was brutal, man. I'm kind of, I mean, it was so rich. It was so full. There was so much going on. It was fantastic. But you know how you are after something like that. You know, you don't want to say, but glad that's over. Glad that's done. Why don't you express how you feel? It was a busy week. We had four different cohorts on campus. First time ever. We had two master's cohorts, two doctoral cohorts. Plus the board of trustees were here. Plus the lectures. Plus the lectures were happening. So plus commencement, was, we had people coming oh yeah. in for graduation. It was crazy. Graduations. Great you know, I, I never sleep in. Never. Absolutely never. I don't care where I am, what time zone. I'm up at five thirty in the morning. You know, the morning of commencement. You know what time I got up? I heard. But how, but what time did you get up? I got up at like seven forty-five, and I got I got I was late to commence. We we're supposed to be there at eight thirty. You remember that? You were there on time, weren't you? I was there on time, and I live. I got 40 yelled at. Away. I got yelled at. So just for context, <laughs> for for Dave Fitch to sleep in until seven thirty. That's if we translated that into like teenage sleeping hours, that'd be like him waking up at, at twelve o'clock noon. 12 noon. You know, that's like, it's him really sleeping in. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. Well, we're glad we got through. We love Northern. All the things happening here are... Uh, One crazy, great. busy, very fulfilling week. And by the way, next year we're having Reggie Williams uh, give the Theology and Mission Lectureship. And the title will be What the Black Church Can Teach the Rest of the Church About Mission, Social Incarnational Engagement. we got to get him on for a uh, podcast. All Reggie. Right. Let's reach out yeah. to him. We'll pull together. Although... This very well might be our last episode of season number three. Why is that? Well, because it's like, it's that time where you end a season, and then maybe we'll have a couple summer special episodes. You know, you got to keep the listeners wanting more. Got to be like, that's a wrap for season three. You are a marketing genius. I never do any of this stuff. Yeah, we split up all the seasons. All the years have been split up into seasons. How many years have we been doing this? Three. Okay, we better move on or else people are going to get bored and turn the broadcast off. Two minute, 45 second mark. If we start talking like old men, hey, I remember the last time we did that. Remember five years ago? Yeah, people are going to turn this off faster than a snap of the fingers. Of course, every year we were in a different place recording. So uh, where are we going to be next year? We're going to be here. Although I wish they'd heat the place. <laughs> yeah, this room is freezing. Our little studio. All right, so what are we going to talk about today, Jeff Holesclaw? What do you got? I don't. I don't got you. You have to intro. You have all to right, all right. Well, I, I broadly read. what we're talking about is the effect of American culture on our psyches, our souls, our spirits, and our communities. That's yeah, the broad, but specifically. What are we talking about? Well, uh, Kirsten Powers wrote this article in USA Today uh, a couple days ago, and it's entitled Americans are depressed and suicidal because something is wrong with our culture. Something is wrong with our culture. So immediately. Oh, and here's here's another. I'll give you another uh, line. I want you to riff off on this as soon as I get finished. She says, don't pathologize the despair that is a rational response to a culture that values people based on ever-escalating financial and personal achievements. Let me just, one more time. Don't pathologize the despair that is a rational response to a culture 
that values people based on their escalating financial and personal achievements. What do you have to say about that, Jeff uh, Holson? Well, that's, that's pure gold. That comes at the, near the end. I actually had that same phrase uh, underlined in my copy there. Um, the gist of the, of, of the article that we want to talk about is, is that depression and suicide rates are skyrocketing in the United States. And she wants to say... Skyrocketing, uh, meaning they're up 30% um, over... Wait, suicide rates have risen nearly 30% since 1999. And of course, and of course, we have recently uh, seen on the news Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain, other prominent uh, people going all the way back to Robin, Robin Williams. Williams. Uh, Man, is it that long ago? Man, I thought it was just yesterday. You know, but these prominent people, very successful people, people who have reached, you know, into their 50s, maybe early 60s, they are living large. They have achieved so much, and then what happens? Suicide. And so the point is, what's going on here? And how are we to respond to it? And and Christian Powers is asking, is this a cultural phenomenon? And I love this question because I think, especially within evangelical circles, we tend to individualize everything. And we don't get at the heart of how our culture is shaping and forming not just the way we think, but the things we desire, how we feel, the way our bodies are working. Uh, that's I'd like you to explain this term because every time I try to explain it, I go off into some incoherence that nobody can understand. Which term is this? This is the term subjectivity. <laughs> I don't know if I can explain it for our listeners. Do it. Take a shot. But it's so important. It's what I teach here at Theology of Church and Culture. We can no longer look at the individual separate from culture, that indeed the discourses, our cultural frames are shaping who we are. We cannot understand who we are if, if we extract ourselves out of our culture and the various things our culture is framing for us as to who we are to be, where our, our roles are, what we are to look like, what we are to aspire to. If we haven't achieved such and such by such and such a time, we are a failure. All the narratives, all the frames that we understand ourselves come from this place called culture. And subjectivity says it shapes our, the way we feel, the, the way we look, what we aspire to, what we want, what we desire, what we are attracted to, our whole psychosocial bio-complex called ourselves are being shaped by culture. Now that I've totally lost everybody and everybody's turned off our podcast again, bring it back, Jeff. Bring us back. Please help us understand what well, I'm you saying. You just define subjectivities, but what does that mean um, she says, don't pathologize the despair that is a rational response to our culture. Um, she's trying to say, yes, there are people who maybe have physical, mental illness or something like that. Uh, yes, there are people who have rough circumstances. Um, but why is it that uh, our whole society is tilting toward depression, suicide, and, uh, and, and extreme anxiety? Um, and, and the question of subjectivity says, well, it's not necessarily the person's fault that they are where they are. It is our whole culture, the stories and narratives of values and goals that we give to them. And she says, we need to, we need to look at those things. So a lot of times, uh, like pastorally or personally, if someone is struggling with depression and maybe we've ruled out, um, you know, chemical or, uh, you know, br- brain um, mental Imba- illness or something chemical like that. Imbalance, chemical imbalances, etc. Chemical imbalances or something like that. Well, then, you know, what is our response? Well, they need to snap out of it or they need to work harder. Or they need to, you know, 
they need to uh, maybe set better goals, or you know, maybe they're so depressed and anxious because they don't have. Poor or boundaries. go to church more often. Oh, yeah, or worship they need more. to go to church. They need to pray. They, uh, or the big thing: practice more mindfulness. You know, get rooted and centered and things like that. Uh, none of which is necessarily bad. It can be offered in a, in a bad spirit. Uh, but I think we need to ask deeper questions. What is our culture training us into? And um, and is it, you know, are we headed toward like a, de- a death culture? Maybe some of us and, are already saying we're already there. And but. should we kind of reflect on the cultural practices and what they're training us to do, think, feel, understand? Uh, before we go further into that, though, uh, just a little riff. I think, you know, growing up in maybe what we'll call fundamentalist evangelicalism, there was a kind of a distancing or a reaction against like going to a psychologist that really all our problems were spiritual. And there was, and and, and add to that, there was a culture in fundamentalism that said, uh, that didn't talk about uh, our mental struggles. Uh, There was a lot of that. And, and so, um, so, so uh, if for the many who emerged out of that and who grew out of that, uh, there was a reaction against that, saying, "No, we need to go to a psychologist. We need to be open to therapies uh, through drugs and other means to even out our moods, etc." And so, there's almost like a reaction totally to the other side that all mental health is an individual thing that needs to be treated through therapy, drugs, counseling. What this article seems to think is that both those the, both those frames of understanding it, either as an individual spiritual person who says, no, you should never go to a psychologist, you should just work it out between you and the Lord, and the person who's reacting against that, it's all about going to a psychologist, it's all about phys- uh, everything is chemical in your, in your psychochemistry and you need to deal with that. There's another thing to consider beyond those two extremes. Are you following me? I am absolutely. There's. I, so I, what's do you the find other thing? Because I think pastors are caught between one extreme to the other, and we don't deal with the subjectivity of question. How is our culture shaping us to to be depressed, nihilistic, not have purpose in life, to be in a spiral that's going down? Well, what? So you want me to answer that? Yes. Well, I would say the number one thing is the imperative to be happy. Is causing all this depression. So now we're going to the question: How is how is yes. culture? Wh- so our yeah. culture now uh, has a demand. This comes from Zizek and Badu and other critical theorists. They say our culture of consumption and success, capitalism, blah blah blah. It has the number one imperative is be happy. Do what makes you happy. Be yeah. what makes you happy. Yeah. Your job is to be happy. And so uh, there's this uh, this. I was reading a, an article about uh, a young millennial who was talking about depression and anxiety, and she said, like, my parents were so supportive. They were so generous. Please they, be happy. Please they always be happy. said, just do whatever makes you happy. We want, we you, want you to be happy. To be happy. We and demand says, you be happy. She said, that is such a vague goal to base a life around that you never know if you're achieving it or not. Am I really happy right now? Is this what's happening right am now fu- making me happy? Am I fulfilling my purpose in life, being happy? And she's and this this millennial was reflecting. She said, like my parents had goals that their parents gave, which was get a job, provide for your family, take care of your children. Right? These are very specific goals, and maybe they don't sound very fulfilling or that they can bring happiness. But actually, because they're specific, you can fulfill them. 
and you have actual benchmarks. Right. I actually, I actually paid all my bills this month. My can children are eating this month. This I'm, is a specific goal. This that makes me feel very fulfilled. Can I can I th- just throw another example of what exactly you're talking about? Yes. When I grew up in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, all my friends' dads were factory workers in steel factories. Very, uh, very dirty. Very uh, un. Well, what today would think? Oh my goodness, it's unfulfilling work. But they did not see their job as the ultimate fulfilling category for their life. They saw they were providing for their family, and they were being members of God's church and His mission in the world. And the and the steel factory thing was a God given place for them to go earn money and to fulfill that part of their vocation. That we we have a very different way of viewing the world today. So Mr. Johnson, the steel worker who had two boys, was a, his son was one of my friends. He was an elder at the church, lived a very exceedingly glorious, fulfilling life. Okay, today, could he do the same thing, being a steel worker? Well, a lot of those factories have closed, so kind of not. So much. Indeed, in Hamilton, a lot of them have closed. But anyways, I just think we put way too much pressure on finding the right job, the fulfilling this and the fulfilling occupation and the fulfilling this. And actually, we should live into God's purposes uh, for our lives. Go ahead. All right. So that's the first edge of my cultural analysis, that we're, there's a demand to be happy. But here's the second thing, is that while saying that at the same time, there still is this razor thin criteria by which our culture actually judges success. And it's financial success. It's having a bunch of money and it's looking beautiful. Are you financially successful and do you have a beautiful physical body? Are you asking me personally? No. Uh, this is what the... <laughs> but this is so so on the one hand culture says you need to be happy on the other hand it says we value beautiful and rich people yeah and so that's a double whammy where both of which i'm a miserable failure at (laughs) this is why we're on radio right instead of of television uh and so people can't fulfill the happiness even though there's this, this backhanded criteria for being uh beautiful and successful and so uh people are just beating themselves up and they're feeling like failures, even if they are a success. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that gets back to that Jim Carrey line. I I don't have the tweet that he's now famous for, but he thinks everybody should go out and achieve their life streams, become rich, successful, good looking, et cetera. So they can find out that that's not what life's all about or something like that. You remember that Jim Carrey? Oh yeah. Jim Carrey who struggled immensely with depression and mental illness. So she says near at the bottom, she says, yes, there are people who have chemical imbalances who should be supported and treated with medicine. But, and I think this is huge, especially for pastors, Christians ministering in this culture, but most Americans are depressed, anxious, or suicidal because something is wrong with our culture, not because something is wrong with them. Yeah, can I just, uh, I, I thought you were going to go to Did I skip your, to the end too much? Well, I thought you were going to go to the second point. No, no, I uh, you have What's no. that? Well, the second point, I want you to go off on this because you were just talking to me about it before we started the podcast, and that is that there is a direct correlation, and Sun Chen Ra was talking about this at the lectures uh, last uh, Thursday, that the uh, for five hours of media, uh, for screen time, there's a direct correlation to, to depression. And, and in here, I think that this article, she also talks about the fact that we are separated emotionally, detached from real face-to-face encounters, and we're on our screens all the time, and this has created a culture of depression. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
last summer, last September, uh, Jean uh, Twinge, T-W-E-N-G-E, she wrote a fabulous article in The Atlantic called Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? And that comes out of her book called iGen. Um, I-G-E-N. Um, and she just talks about how uh, there are direct correlations, um, not necessarily causations, but she says when you look at the, the introduction of the smartphone, uh, roughly around 2007, 2008, uh, youth culture started drastically changing and that the homicide rates plummeted, suicide rates went through the roof. Teens don't go out. Teens are waiting longer to get driver's licenses. They don't have jobs. Um, like all, They don't date. Like all these things. Like the social environment has totally changed because of smartphones. Uh, and and this anxiety is just uncontrollable. But it's not true. It's not true just for the youngest, you know, the people after the millennials. It's true for the millennials, Gen X, and boomers. We have a culture of anxiety and depression, and it's just it's out of control. Yeah, and so um, so here's here's what I'm not saying, or here's what not what we're saying. We're not saying that uh, treatment. Uh, Various drug and chemical treatments are not important and should not be discerned. We are not saying that mental illness is not real. We are not saying that this is not a significant and real psychosocial bodily ailment disease that we have to treat. But I remember, but I think the church has to have a role in leading and guiding and making space for people to deal with mental illness. And I, I remember I hearkened to the day, and I won't, I won't mention the name of this very, very famous pastor, megachurch pastor, who would say, we can only do so much that we have to have counseling treatment centers and or people we can send people to with people with mental illness because the church should not be engaged in, in helping those people. We are not the professionals. I want to argue that the, the churches need to be spaces where we can discern all those things. We need to, we need to be able to talk, first of all, about suicide and, and our, our feelings. Uh, not to be shamed, but to talk about it. Just talking about it. And she says it, Kirsten Power says it in this article, that just talking about suicide and what I'm feeling reduces massively people from committing suicide. We need to talk about the drug therapies the doctors are proposing to us after talking to us for 15 minutes or less. You know, the University of Illinois, this was on Yahoo today, University of Illinois or, uh, said, uh, now i got to pull up this study, darn it. Um, but uh, the University of Illinois, stay with me, people. The University of Illinois, the University of Illinois, the University <laughs> right. of... Well, really, okay, well, I got it. More oh, than one-third, okay. University of Illinois study says more than one-third of American adults are using prescription medications that can potentially cause depression or increase the risk of suicide, according to a study published Tuesday in the Journal of American Medical Association. A lot of this problem comes from the mixture of drugs that, when they are mixed, cause depression or suicidal mood swings. And that's not even on the radar of some of our medical establishments, according to this study. So all this to say, we need places to discern whether we should be taking these drugs, whether what they're doing to us is what we thought they were doing. We need to talk about it. Doctors, frankly, don't talk to us enough about these kind of things. And and in and of themselves, they don't see what's going on in the rest of our lives. The last thing I want to say is there's nothing more important than meeting and gathering around tables and being present 
to other people and trusting and learning to trust and um, tend to what God's doing in other people. To be present to other people uh, has an amazing effect in terms of being able to find ourselves, know ourselves, be known by other people, and out of this comes an amazing source of healing. And I believe that healing is the presence of the Holy Spirit around a table of Christians learning to love and care for one another through eating. You got a comment on that? Yeah, it's it's the word connected, connected and disconnected. Um, around the table, we become connected, or oftentimes we say remembered. We remember Christ. We become remembered as the body of Christ, the family of Christ, the people of God. And but so often we are disconnected. And a lot of times, um, I've been you know reading, uh, learning quite a bit about brain, brain science, um, all these types of things. And, uh, but especially our brains are, they mature and grow in relationship to other brains, in relationship to other people. Empathy, emotions, my narrative, even understanding like my sense of self. Yes. Like everyone says, this is all, it has to be done in connection with other people. And so a lot of times, you know, we think that whether it's a, a chemical process or just some sort of mental illness, that brains are, are disconnected, that they're not working properly. Yes. Uh, and then that leads to relational dis- disconnection that people aren't allowed to then move into relationships with other people. But the, the truth is actually more the opposite, is that when we lose connection with other people, when we don't relate or empathize or share ourselves with other people, that's when our own brains become disconnected. There's actually a causation uh, oh, neurologically yeah. in my brain when oh. I'm disconnected from other people, then my brain gets stuck, and then you get in this downward spiral. But the cause is actually outside of us, and this is why Kristen, Power, Kristen Powers is absolutely right. Like her culture is basically causing brain damage on all these people. That's and, there we go. That's the title of this podcast. It's got to be our culture is uh, causing brain damage. We're disconnected as people, and so our brains are being disconnected, and we're plummeting. Yeah, and the first impulse, and here's another thing for pastors to take note of: the first impulse of a person who's going through mental struggles, either through shame, either through loss of purpose, darkness, spiraling down. First impulse is I want to be by myself. One of the reasons why I want to be by myself, just one, I'm sure there's others. And and by the way, I don't know about you, but I have been through major depression in my life. And you just want to be by yourself. Why? Because you don't want to be judged. And you don't want to have to talk about all the crap in your life that, that uh, you're sick of talking about it. Or you don't want to talk about it because you don't want to be judged. And so I'm going to suggest, and, and, and I don't know how long we've gone on this podcast. It seems like we've been going forever. But I want to suggest to pastors that the answer, the church is the answer to a culture. That is that has become a depressive culture, and and it's not. We used to think about engaging mental illness or struggles through pastoral counseling. The pastor becomes a great counselor. He gets an MA in counseling, and he has one-on-one sessions. Okay, nothing wrong with that. But what I want to say is the real source, the real place of healing, is the table. And it's when we gather around and get to know one another, care for one another, commit to one another, tend to one another in a way that is not coercive, but it is a way that allows Christ to work among us and between us. That's what I think pastors should be cultivating to circumvent the culture that is, as you say, training us for brain damage. Mm-hmm. And so can we be communities of connectedness? 
um, communities that are open about our struggles, vulnerable, um, all these things. Uh, they're not in, in one, you know, and I don't want to play this up too much, but in one sense, it's good for our souls. But in a real sense, it's good for our brains. Like our brains actually change the more that we share our lives, the more that we reflect and offer ourselves to other people. And it creates pathways of joy and connection and relationship. Okay, that we don't so, have. I, so I have I have a free offer to uh, offer our uh, listeners. A free offer. Yeah, like it's a, a it's the house something? gathering guide of Peace of Christ Church. John okay. Burbaum and a couple other people at our place wrote it up, um, and and uh, it plays off of the ideas of faithful presence. And we will can we make it available on the website? So I don't have to send it out to everybody. You who don't have to send it to me. I'll send it to you. And we'll, we'll post make... it on our Facebook page. We'll also post it on where we where we put this on our um, northern site. There'll be a, so we'll have two places. And so let's call folks, pastors, leaders. Let's cultivate places of presence around the table where people can come with all their inner struggles, pains, and hurts. Not be judged. It'll be a place of trust. And yet the Spirit of Christ is working there. And how do we cultivate those places? By the way, eating is a big part of it. Absolutely. And if you want to learn how to cultivate these practices of engaging, of reading your culture, um, of going uh, deep on some of these types of issues, where should, should they check out your doctoral ministry in contextual theology? Yes, they should. I'm trying to give you a plug. Uh, dude, to give you a I don't know. After we talk so intense, that sounds like you threw in a All cheap right. plug. But, folks, you can check out uh, <laughs> Doctoral Contextual Theology. All right, sorry about but, that. But uh, I don't Just know. Just trying if, to help you out. Thanks much for, for getting it in a, a weird way, but fine. Uh, I'll take it. Mm. Well, that just about ends our time for today. I was going to ask, what are you reading? But I haven't been reading anything because I've been too busy grading and working on the conference. So are you reading anything interesting? Uh, I read that... Uh, I read that article on two Augustinianisms by Steve Long in that older collection of essays, but I don't even know how to tell people about it because <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> All right. So we've been too busy to do any reading, but that's okay. Well, uh, this may, we'll just call this the end of season three, but we'll probably have some uh, special summer podcasts uh, that we'll shoot out, some episodes that we'll shoot out. But thank you for all of you who have been with us for most of these three years. Uh, if you've just jumped on, please uh, go back and load those old episodes and check them all out. We would love reviews. We would love uh, stars. Please share this with your friends, family, loved ones, and even those who criticize you. Um, I think we're losing it here. No, nah, we're good. <laughs> so we will see you. All right, we'll around. see you next season, season four, with maybe a few interspersed episodes. So keep looking for us. Uh, we'll put it on our feeds. Until then, folks, have a great summer. We'll see you in September, Northern Seminary, back in this whatever we call the studio now, in nine, in two thousand eighteen. Over and out. <laughs>